This is the third week of a nine-week series on the Old Testament book of Proverbs. As we've been saying uh, so far throughout the series, Proverbs is one of the wisdom books of the Old Testament. And wisdom literature in the Bible is concerned with helping us to navigate life well. It's focused on practical life, ordinary life. Its goal is to help us flourish. I've made this statement, I think, in every sermon so far in the series, and I'll say it again. You could think of the book of Proverbs, the function that it has in our lives in this way. It helps to increase our street smarts. That's really the goal of wisdom literature, and Proverbs in particular, to help us to know how to live in the everyday stuff of life. And so I want you to think of Proverbs continually as our tour guide over this nine-week period, as Proverbs points out for us what is true and real about the world of people, places, and things. We're walking through some of the primary themes of Proverbs. This is um, a little bit different than what we generally do. This is more of a topical series. So far, we've covered the topics of wisdom and folly. This morning, we are looking at the topic of justice, and from there, we'll talk about temptation, money, speech, work, relationships, and plans. But as I said, our focus this morning is on justice. The word justice appears in the book of Proverbs 12 times. It's clearly a theme, not only in Proverbs, but also in the Old Testament and the Bible, the biblical story as a whole. What I want to do for us is I want to read two early passages in Proverbs uh, to get us started. One um, from chapter 1, and the other is from chapter 2. So first I'm going to read chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and then I'll read chapter 2, and for the full context, verses 1 through 10. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. Now chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Let's take a moment to pray together and ask for God to help us. Father, that is our prayer, that you would come to us through your word right now. Provide the help that we need to understand, and more than just simply understand with our minds, we pray that you would take what we learned this morning uh, and apply it to our very lives, that we might embody it and live it out. We pray that as that happens, that you would get all of the glory and that the world around us would benefit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we come to a topic this morning, justice. 
that is talked about a lot in our society right now. Talked about might not even be the best way to get at it. Uh, debate about, fight about, argue about. Uh, however you want to characterize that justice, and particularly when we attach the word social to justice, so social justice uh, is a hot topic, uh, hot button issue uh, in the culture around us. Not only in the culture around us, but inside the church as well. These terms, justice, social justice, they get thrown around a lot, but very few people, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, ever define what in the world they're talking about. And it's elusive. It's elusive because lots of people are using terminology very differently. Part of the reason for this is that, um, specifically when it comes to inside the church, is that, and this is my challenge to you from the beginning, and I'll say this, that if I don't say something in this sermon that agitates you, frustrates you, makes you feel uncomfortable, uh, I probably have done something wrong this morning. So I'm just putting it out there. If you're visiting with us this morning, I don't usually preface every sermon in that way, but uh, the Spirit uh, told me to say that this morning. Um, So I wanted to give you that warning, um, that challenge to you, that probably in some way you'll be frustrated, agitated, offended, whatever. But here's how I want to get into this topic. Um, For us as Christians, what happens to us, I think, is that we fall into a trap. Now, you know, I don't, this isn't a sermon about politics. Um, We'll save that sermon for maybe never, Um, but for another day. But we can't help but to think about and regard the context in which we are situated as American citizens, but also those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. And the trap that we fall into is the two-party system that we have. And I'll just use the terms broadly, conservative and progressive. And what happens for us is that we, at times it seems like we can't think outside of these camps, outside of these tribes. And so what will happen is somebody who identifies as progressive will say something. And if you consider yourself to be conservative, what they said is necessarily wrong simply because they're in that tribe or camp. And it works the other way around. I think you know what I'm talking about here. Um, We are so shaped by tribalism and partisanship. And as a result, we are conformed to the patterns of this world. Now, you might be surprised by me applying Romans, um, that that verse from Romans 12 in that way. But from my vantage point as a pastor, and I see this every day as I'm pastoring people, as I'm listening, as I'm observing It just seems like our worldview, unfortunately, so often as Christians, is shaped by progressive or conservative, but not so much always by the Bible, God's story. And that's what we want to do this morning. As God's people, we want to be thoughtful. We we want to come at this topic with clarity. We, We want to be Um, the people that God calls us to be in his world. And so we need to slow down and we need to wrestle with what the Bible says. And this is um, the, the, the fruit, the benefit of wisdom. Now, it's also a challenge. Um, throughout the book of Proverbs, we'll see, and we've already touched on this, to really get at the truth, to access the truth, to access wisdom, you have to wrestle. You have to struggle. You have to. 
You can't just breeze through life and hope to be, live as a wise person and gain knowledge and wisdom. You can't do it. You have to slow down. You have to wrestle. You have to uh, invest time, energy, and thought into the stuff of life. And this is especially true for this topic of justice. As God's people, as the church, we want to talk about this topic from the vantage point of the biblical story. All right? Our worldview must always be shaped by God's story of redemption. And that's how we want to come at this topic. Before we get into it, I want to share with you um, this quote from a pastor in our denomination. His name is Scott Sauls. And I think that this quote helps capture the danger behind what I'm talking about. He says this, as, in, as is the case with every paradox associated with Christianity, there is a both end and a neither nor component to Christianity as it relates to political loyalties. Unless a human system is fully centered on God, and no human system is, Jesus will have things to affirm and things to critique about it. The political left and the political right are no exception. When we fail to see this, we get ourselves into trouble because we don't allow Jesus to offer um, the critique that is needed. And so we don't want to come at this from, you know, one of those two parties primarily. Now, I'm not, it's, it's, it's okay if you lean in a certain direction politically. I think of Jesus' disciples. You know, he called together an eclectic mix of disciples that came from all over the political spectrum of Jesus' day. But what did Jesus seek to do? He sought to retrain them, to unify them around the values of his kingdom so that he might shape them to be his representatives in the world. That's what we're after this morning. All right, let's get into it. Here's how I want to approach this topic of justice. I want to consider the what of justice, the why of justice, and the how of justice. So what, why, and how. And here's what I want you to keep in mind. Justice is a virtue. Like many of these things that we're talking about in the book of Proverbs, this is a virtue. How do you become a more virtuous person? How do you grow in a particular virtue? Practice. You have to expand your skill. Remember the operating definition of wisdom that we're using in this series. Wisdom is skill in the art of godly living. If we want to become people who seek justice and love justice in our lives, then we have to grow in this skill so that we might artfully live it out in the world. All right, what, why, what, why, and how? Let's start with the what. We need to define justice biblically. Um, but before we, we go right into the definitions, I want to take a step back, and you're not going to believe it, go back to the beginning of the biblical story. It seems like I'm doing this each and every Sunday. And I want to uh, talk about a term that we've talked about um, every sermon in this series so far, and that is the term shalom. Shalom is a Hebrew word that means peace. And as I've said um, these past two weeks, it doesn't simply mean absence of conflict. It means flourishing of life. To quote um, one theologian, it's universal flourishing, wholeness and delight, justice, a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully Employed. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. The full flourishing of human life in all aspects as God intended it to be. This is God's goal. This is God's vision for creation. It's God's vision for life. If you want to know what God is all about, 
If you want to know what God's vision is for people, places, and things, you can summarize it in this one word, shalom. So shalom creates the standard. Shalom creates the straight line, so to speak. Um, remember, I, I talked about this last week when we were talking about wis- contrasting wisdom with folly. How is it that we can call something wrong? You know, that this, we just instinctively do this about things in life. That's wrong. That's sen- a senseless act. That's a foolish act. How are we able to do that? Well, the only, I quoted C.S. Lewis, who uh, said that the only reason that we can call a line crooked is because we have some conception of what a straight line is. Our straight line that we're operating under as God's people, is God's vision of shalom. This is what he wants more than anything else for your life and the world around you, shalom. Biblically speaking, justice can be defined in many different ways, but I think that the most succinct and most helpful definition is this. Justice can be described as setting things right. In other words, it can be talked about as bringing things into alignment with shalom. God's original goal for creation. That, plainly uh, putting it, is justice. Bringing things into alignment with shalom. Setting things right. The Old Testament uses two different words um, to get at this concept of justice. But they're, they're closely related. In fact, um, so these words, the way they get translated is justice and righteousness. Justice and righteousness. And you saw in um, the passage, one of the passages that I read from Proverbs, that those two words um, are used in one line together justice and righteousness. And this happens over three dozen times uh, in the Old Testament where you see these words used as pairs. So they're different, but they help get at this concept of justice. The first word that gets translated as justice. Um, occurs in some form over 200 times in the Bible. So that's what I mean. You know, you know, this word is used 12 times in the book of Proverbs, but over 200 times in the biblical story. Um, last summer, uh, I was on sabbatical. I share, I've shared this with you before, and we spent a few days in Charleston, South Carolina. And at the time, I was reading through the Psalms on a daily basis, reading one Psalm a day. And what kept striking me, you know, as I got... <laughs> into the Psalms, probably by the 20th chapter, was how often two words are used, one, steadfast, and the other, justice. And it was such a stark contrast for me because we're walking around the streets of Charleston, which factored, sadly, so prominently into slave trade uh, decades, um, many years ago. Um, And so there was this contrast that I was dealing with, God's concern for justice, that his people embody and characterize justice, and I'm being reminded of these grave injustices of our our country. It it really was shaped my thinking at the time. But over 20 times the word um, justice is used in the Psalms, over 12 times in Proverbs, and as I said, over 200 times in the biblical story as a whole. This is not a sub- category or topic. This is a primary topic. This is a major topic in the Bible, and we must treat it so. It has to do with giving people their due. That's the classical definition of uh, justice, giving people their due. Um, The reason that I, more broadly speaking, 
um, am talking about it in terms of setting things right is because I think it's really helpful to connect it um, more to theology in the Bible, and that is shalom, than to philosophy. But that's a helpful definition as well, giving others their due, doing what is right to people. Um, it has to do with treating people equitably, favorably, fairly and favorably, um, acting in a way that is fair toward those around us. Now, this word, justice, um, it's mishpah in the Hebrew, in case you're curious. I'm sure you're not. Um, but it comes into play when things have gone wrong. It comes into play when things have gone wrong with God's original vision of shalom and the restoration that is needed. So when a situation is not going according to the way of life God intends for his people or his creation, in other words, when injustice of any kind is present, judicial intervention may be needed to help make things right. It can also be defined in this way. One Hebrew scholar says, it's the restoration of a situation or environment so that equity and harmony are promoted in the community. If you look at every place where this word is used, this mishpah, the Hebrew word, um, several classes of people constantly come up. And these, these people are the widow, the orphan, the immigrant or the foreigner, and the poor. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, refers to these as the quartet of the vulnerable. They're often used together um, under the context of this word justice. Why is that? These groups have no social power. They have no social power. And God tells us constantly throughout his word that he has a special place in his heart for those who are poor, for those who are needy, for those who are vulnerable in the society around us. Now, the other word, righteousness. I'm not even going to begin to try to tell you this word in Hebrew because I'll mess it up, you'll laugh at me, and it will just be an awkward few seconds. So we'll just avoid that altogether. But there's another word separate from the mishpat word, this righteousness word. It refers to a life of right relationships. So when we see the word righteousness, we tend to think of it in terms of private morality. Like, I want to be a righteous person. And we think of that usually in very private, individualistic ways. But the Bible refers to it as day-to-day living in which a person conducts all of their relationships in family and society with fairness, with equity, with generosity. That's why these two words are often brought together. Um, in the, the book Justice Calling, Bethany Hoang and Kristen Didi Johnson, um, they summarize it in this way. Righteousness is the biblical word that connects us to the bigger picture of human flourishing, while justice focuses more specifically on the action that needs to be taken in order to restore a situation to its intended righteousness. I should have had a slide for this, but started to work on it, and there were going to be way too many slides. You would have been overwhelmed. Um, but this would have been a good one to have a slide for. So let me just tell you that again. Righteousness is the biblical word that connects us to the bigger picture of human flourishing, right relationships, while justice focuses more specifically on the action that needs to be taken in order to restore a situation to its intended rightness or righteousness. So righteousness refers to behavior that is called for based on the relationships between God and people. Um, 
You know, we heard this in Proverbs 1, verse 3, to receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. There they are used together. No surprise, because that's what happens throughout the Old Testament. Going back to the beginning again, um, to talk about this idea of, so, of justice, especially about whether or not we should attach the word social to it. If we go back to the beginning, we see that there were four primary relationships that humans were in. Relationship to God, relationship to self, relationship to neighbor or the other, and relationship to the physical creation. Shalom encapsulates flourishing in all of those relationships. The point is this. We can't conceive of, we can't talk about justice apart from it being social. Justice is necessarily social. Now, it all depends on how we define the terminology. And what we're doing throughout this sermon is defining it according to God's vision of shalom. But justice, if, we're, if it's going to be justice, if it's even something worth talking about, it is necessarily always social because we are inescapably related in this world. Not like biologically related, but we are inescapably in relationship to other people all the time. And that's why we could almost say that hardly any sins are private. Um, you might think that, all right, the sin of um, pornography, that's a, a private sin. And maybe you're sitting here thinking right now, and you're caught up in that sin. You think no one knows about it. But in one way or another, that sin is overflowing to other areas of your life, and it's impacting other people. So sin, from the biblical vantage point, is both personal and individual, but it's also social and communal. Now here's, I think, where wisdom is so helpful to us and where wrestling over God's word and wisdom comes into play. For some reason, we fall into another trap. It's part of the, the two uh, political party system type of thing. But it's, and Scott Sauls mentioned this in the quote that I read earlier, but it's this either or thing. It's like we say, okay, you, um, sin can only be individual or it can only be communal, but it can't be both. Why? The Bible says it's both. So the Bible challenges and critiques us there. You know, we might think that, well, you can't care about abortion and racial justice and justice for women at the same time. So you have, no. The Bible speaks to all of them, and we as God's people must care about all of them. We don't have the right to pick and choose. God defines shalom, all right? God defines the original vision for his creation, and he calls us to bring ourselves into alignment with it. So justice in the biblical story, it begins with God creating human beings to rule over creation on his behalf to care for it, to develop it, to love it, to guard and protect it, to promote shalom. If we could succinctly put it that way, if you want to know what your vocation in life is, what your task is that God has given to you, it is to promote shalom in the name of Jesus. Now, you have to figure out what that looks like in your various situations of life, in your vocation, so on and so forth. But broadly speaking, your job, your task 
as God's son or daughter in this world is to promote shalom in all that you do, to seek to bring things into alignment with God's original vision for his creation. But we know that humans failed at that. God gave them power, and they misused their power. And we see the implications of this all around us in our world, misuses of power everywhere we look. And it's what we are prone to do as well. You know, God has, each and every one of us in this room, God has given us a certain degree of power. And the question is, what are we doing with our power? Are we using our power to bring things into alignment with shalom? Or are we using our power to commit injustices, to manipulate people, to make a mess of people, places, and things? This is a question for all of us, not just a question for some of us. This is the storyline of the Bible. That God gives power to human beings, they misuse it, and now they are in need of rescue. And so we see Jesus coming into the world, the one with all of the power in the universe, and how does he use his power? To serve, to ultimately give up his life as a ransom for many, for all those who would believe in him. So Jesus becomes the model of how we use power. But we need to also be forgiven. We need to repent of our misuse of power, receive forgiveness, and then in Jesus, as we grow in wisdom and in his character, be, people, uh, be changed to be people who use our power for the good of others and for God's glory. What I hope you will see is that everything I'm saying about sin being both personal and individualist, individual as well as communal and social, it actually is a very high view of sin. Why would we think that sin only affects individuals? That is a low view of sin. Sin creeps into every area of life. Sin creeps into systems. So yes, there is such a thing as systemic sin and injustice. Why would there not be? It only makes sense according to the biblical vision. Because as we saw, sin is not just individualistic, it is social. And when you get a lot of people together, or not even a lot, when you get more than one person together and they start sinning together in their power, then it becomes a systemic issue. This is a high view of sin, not a low view of sin. Now let's talk about the why of justice. Why should we care about justice? Well, in these two passages and especially chapter 1, because this is the very beginning of Proverbs. And so this vision is being held out. If you, if you really want to be wise, if you want to know wisdom and instruction to really understand how things work, and I've been speaking to this, deep down inside, that's the longing of each and every one of us. We, we want to relate to creation in the way that we're meant to relate to it. We, we, we want to navigate life well. We want to flourish. We want to find our stride in life. That's what Proverbs is holding out to us. But notice, again, in verse 3, some of the first words that are, to, that are, are spoken of. To receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. I mean, we could have started with any set of words, any set of topics, but these are the words that Proverbs leads with. So why should we care about justice? If we want to be wise, we have to care about justice. Because justice, again, sets the standard. God's original vision of shalom. 
if we, are, if we disregard that straight line of shalom, or if we um, just simply in our folly um, go in the opposite direction of it, then we turn into foolish people. So if we want to be wise, we have to be people who have regard for and care about and seek justice. That's one reason. Another reason is simply this, because justice reflects the character of God. We see this throughout the Old Testament. God is the defender of the weak. He's the defender of the widow, the orphan. God uh, is, it cares about the alien and the stranger. I mean, on and on and on again, it's being rooted in who God is. God is a God of justice. That's why the straight line of shalom is because God created, and so within God's very character, he experiences shalom, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity, communal relationship. And so it makes sense that what God would make would also include that straight line of shalom as the original vision. So why do we um, seek justice? Well, first, because if we want to be wise, we have to. Second, it's rooted in the very character of God, But let's add two more pieces to this. The image of God and the mission of God. Rooted in God's original intention for creation, we can use the terminology of imago Dei, means image of God. All people are made in God's image. That is the truth that is most determinative for how we treat other people. I'll never um, forget it. I had a professor in seminary. His name was Jerem Bars. Um, and he would often say that people are royalty. That every person you have ever encountered and ever seen in your life is essentially royalty by virtue of having been made in the image of God. That is why we treat people with fairness, equity, and justice. Because... They're image bearers of our God. But the missio Dei, the mission of God, we've already touched on the fact that life is not the way it's meant to be any longer, that human beings have misused power. And so God is on mission in this world to restore people to right relationship with himself through faith in Jesus Christ. But as that happens, to restore them to right relationship with themselves with others, and to the physical creation. So do you see where I'm going with this? The goal of salvation is the goal of shalom. What is the goal of redemption in the Bible? It's to restore things to God's original vision. Right relationship with God, right relationship to self, right relationship to others, right relationship to the physical creation. This is God's mission in the world. This is what he's doing. Now, here's another thing that we struggle with in the church. Is the priority seeking justice or proclaiming the gospel? Why are we even having to ask that question? It's both. The gospel, obviously, is primary. It's the priority. It shapes the way, as we're grounding it in this sermon, it shapes our approach to justice and how we think about it. But we are called to do both, to proclaim the gospel with our lips, but to also embody and live the gospel as we seek justice through our lives. We don't have to fall into the trap of either or. The Bible presents a holistic picture for us. And here's what is unique about the Christian faith. It's this idea of redemption. 
you may say, well, you know, as I think about relating to and seeking justice for the most vulnerable, I've never been there. I don't know what it's like. Yes and no. The way that the Bible talks about your salvation, even if you um, literally, practically have never been in those circumstances, the way that God talks about your salvation is that he has saved you from spiritual poverty. He has rescued you. This is the empowerment and the motivation that we have as God's people, right? That's why the gospel is so unique. And we make a connection here between justice and justification. So justice we've been talking about, justification is a New Testament word. And most basically it means to be declared righteous. We're back to that righteous word again. Um, What is righteous? It's not simply an individualistic thing. It's righteousness in all relationships, beginning with right relationship with God. But justification is being declared righteous, being told that we're accepted by God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's justification. Justification and justice are linked. As Tim Keller, who I quoted earlier, says, that justice and justification are joined at the hip. People who have been justified seek justice. People who are justified care and love about love justice. Why? Because we have tasted of God's goodness. We have received mercy and grace because of what Jesus has done for us. And and that changes the way that we view people. We no longer have to misuse power to try to earn favor or make ourselves feel right in life as we manipulate others, but we can rest secure in the right standing that we have with God, and as a result, we can actually love people and seek justice for them. Tim Keller talks about how, um, he's telling the story about Mark Gornick. Mark Gornick um, is a pastor of uh, New Song Community Church, another church in our denomination in inner city of Baltimore. Um, When Mark Gornick first moved in, um, as a white man, the police thought he was a drug dealer, and the drug dealers thought he was a police officer. And so he wondered who was going to shoot him first. Um, But one day he was walking around with, uh, I can't remember if it was Tim Keller or someone else, and he made this statement that justification, as we proclaim justification in this neighborhood, that is what is going to ultimately lead to lives of justice. You see, he was seeing the connection that is there from the Old Testament into the New Testament. It's not just an individualistic concept. But as we, through faith in Jesus, become right with God, inevitably, the the gospel starts working in us and we begin relating rightly to everything else around us, ourselves, people, physical creation. Finally, the how of justice. The how of justice. How, How do we even do this? Where do we start? Well, I've noted already that this like other virtues, is a skill or habit. So on the one hand, you should be encouraged that if you feel like you don't know where to begin, you're not really good at it, it's okay. There's grace. And this is a skill that you can grow in. It's a habit that you can grow in. Where's the starting point? 
The starting point is living in the presence of God. That's, that's where we start. You know, as we've, we have seen throughout Scripture, um, we see it, you know, I, I, the book of Micah, for example. How does it summarize our, our duty in life? To walk humbly with God, to do justice, to act kindly, to love mercy. In James, um, the New Testament, what does James say? Religion that is um, undefiled before God our Father is to take care of uh, orphans and widows. Um, Isaiah chapter 1. Um, I mean, this is the whole critique of the prophets in the Old Testament. The people are not doing justice. We, we could cite passage after passage after passage. They all point us to the fact that this is who God is. It's his character. And so where do we begin? We begin in the presence of God. Um, I referred to the book Justice Calling um, earlier and in that book, uh, Bethany Hoang um, talks about how talks about her first day working at the International Justice Mission. Um, and this was back in 2004, I, I think that she said. If you're not familiar with the International Justice Mission, get familiar with it. It is a tremendous um, organization that is um, working to fight the injustice of the sex slave and human trafficking, um, doing tremendous work. But Bethany O'Hang talks about her first day working there. And the founder, uh, Gary Hagen, who I actually had the opportunity to take a, a seminary class with, um, he warned against prayerless striving. Prayerless striving. She says this, I vividly remember the day I was introduced to the phrase prayerless striving. It was June 1st, 2004, my very first day as an employee of International Justice Mission. And all um, IJM staff in the United States were gathered for a day of prayer. Our president, Gary Hagen, was teaching about what it means to do the work of justice first and foremost as a fruit of being formed in Jesus Christ. That's the starting point. Life with God. Life in God. Getting to know who God is, what his heart is, and asking him, for, asking him to share and give that heart to us. But I want to warn you against prayerless striving. For some of us, the danger, the temptation is to move so um, toward activism that we never slow down. We never slow down. We never just sit in the presence of God to be renewed and restored, to hear God speak to us. And that's dangerous because the danger behind that is um, I think Amy Sherman points this out well in the reflection quote, um, the front of the bulletin, that it may be, our activism may become an excuse of privilege and paternalism, something faddish rather than enduring and prideful instead of faithful. And so she says, but we, don't do, we won't do well in promoting what works if we're not seeking to be the kind of workers God can actually use. You won't persevere as a follower of Christ in the area of justice, unless you are sitting, taking time to sit in God's presence to be refreshed and renewed and restored and be given his vision for life. What about your vision, your vision for life? Where are you with this issue of justice? How do you come at it? I want to encourage you to enlarge your vision, to enlarge your heart. Uh, back in seminary, 
I, I took a, a class on urban ministry from a man named Mo Leverett. Uh, Mo and his family moved into the Desire Street projects in inner city New Orleans, which at the time was rated the, the worst uh, housing project in America. And this was years after he had founded Desire Street Ministries, and I had the opportunity to drive around East St. Louis with him. Now, East St. Louis, um, if, you, if you look at rankings year after year, it's always rated you know, in the top five, maybe top two or three, uh, statistically for crime and murder. Um, it is a, a place of deep oppression and misery for so many people. But as we drove around, Mo's eyes were open wide. And he was saying things like, this is amazing. Look at this. And, and it wasn't making sense to me. But Mo was looking at everything through the lens of Jesus' kingdom. Look at this over here, the, the drug dealers on the corner. What would it look like if God's kingdom came there? What would it look like for them to be related rightly to the society around them? This is the way that he thought. This is the way that he envisioned things. And that is my, my calling to you as well, to learn to view life, the world around you, through the lens of God's kingdom. What could be? Don't focus. We have to be realistic about what is, but we also have to dream about what could be. Imagine people, uh, it's, they're not up any longer, sorry. We used to have banners that said this. It's going to turn around and point to them. They're not there. But imagine people, places, and things flourishing in the gospel. That's our vision statement. View life through the lens of God's story and kingdom, of what could be. I'm out of time. Let me close with this. We see uh, in, in these two passages of Scripture um, from Proverbs, and again, this series is different than um, a lot of other series in that it is very topical. Um, we're only working with a couple verses here this morning. Um, but this fruit of wisdom, if you really want wisdom, if you want knowledge, insight, and understanding, you have to be a person committed to justice, to equity, to fairness. And then we get the same thing again in chapter 2 as we read. It's if you give yourself to seeking God's wisdom, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. How do you get it? How do you access it? sitting in the presence of God, learning from him and his word, allowing him to mentor you in life. It's the breathing in and the breathing out that we so often talk about. So I want to end with um, the quote that we, um, I think I first introduced, introduced this last uh, year in a series we did on Christian spirituality comes from a theologian named Barry Jones. He says, There is a rhythm of life that pulsates through the biblical vision of what it means to be human, a kind of breathing in and breathing out, an inhale and an exhale. The breathing in is our participation in the divine life, the breathing out our participation in the divine mission. The breathing in we often call spirituality, the breathing out we call mission. Spirituality and mission are intimately bound up with one another, like inhaling and exhaling. We need both. We don't pick or choose one or, or the other. We need both. We need to be people who sit in the presence of God, are taught by him from his word, 
receive the good news of Jesus, and then seek to live it out in lives of justice. Now, there's so much more that I could say, so much more that was in my notes. Um, but like all of these topics, it's a, it's a hard topic to hit um, for one week, but that was the plan. Um, so at least get you, stirs you up a little bit, gets you thinking and praying. Let's pray now together. Father, we're really grateful for your word, for the fact that you do mentor us by your word and spirit. Teach us the truth. Teach us and draw us further into your vision of shalom. May we be people who rest secure in our right standing with you because of what Jesus has done. And may we be people who seek to embody um, our salvation in in the relationships with those around us. May we be known as a church, as individuals who love justice because you love justice. May we be known as those who seek justice in the everyday stuff of life. Enlarge our vision. And I I pray that tremendous fruit would come out of this time that we've had with you this morning. I, I look forward to hearing stories about how you have stirred people up and how they have committed themselves to gospel, the pursuit of gospel justice um, for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.